0: Two of what I would characterize as the most important existential crises that we face are the emergence of antibiotic-resistant organisms and the emergence of novel pathogens, primarily viruses. The challenge is always going to be that our current approach to diagnosis does not occur immediately, that is, in real time at the point of care. And whether we're talking about good stewardship of antibiotics, the right antibiotic for the right organism, which is the only way to treat effectively without promoting the emergence of resistance, or whether we're talking about proper triage and quarantine of these viruses such as Zika or Ebola that spread very rapidly in our globalized society, the only way that behaviors can change is if you put that diagnosis in the hands of the clinician at the point of care. And that was the primary motivation for this application of Raman spectroscopy.
1: Sarah Specht molecularly breaks this down in like now, real time right now. That's correct. So
2: it is a real time, meaning within uh, seconds to a minute or so, uh, to be able to do a diagnosis as opposed to the two, three, four-day diagnosis with the culture. And because we can look at antibiotic resistance or not, we can also look at what is the most effective antibiotic treatment in real time. So within an hour, tell you that this particular antibiotic is especially effective versus um, a less effective antibiotic. And that way, it's very targeted care. And it's targeted care right at the primary care physician rather than having to go through a large hospital system, or sending out to a laboratory.
1: You guys are on the verge of like this Star Trek handheld. You wave it over the body and voila, we know what's wrong with you. I mean, is this the only product of this nature that's being developed right now?
0: There are a variety of approaches that point towards point-of-care diagnosis. They all have limitations of one sort or another. To our knowledge, this is the only field-portable, Raman spectroscopy-based technology um, that is currently under development for pathogen detection.
1: So in a situation like the Ebola outbreak, this would be tremendously helpful.
0: Exactly. Currently, things such as fever are the primary triage, completely ineffective in a global pandemic virus. So the ability to make a diagnosis In real time, and by virtue of technologies that we're incorporating into the device, the ability to populate databases that could do the real-time epidemiology, I think for the first time, we would have a mechanism of tracking the spread of these viruses that doesn't depend on, you know, a culture-based or a molecular diagnostic test that could take several hours and, in some cases, several days. Perhaps Greg could comment briefly on the ability to use this technology to identify diseases in the pre-symptom phase because that would really allow for effective triage and treatment.
2: Well, we've used Raman spectroscopy and this uh, device to look at a lot of different things, including cancer cells, but also immune cells. And the immune cells are really the first monitor in the body. They circulate through the body. They interact with uh, bacteria or pathogens or infection agents. So it's really the earliest diagnosis um, is that activation of these immune cells. And what we've done is we've been mapping out these activations and why they're activated, what is activating those. And that's quite unique compared to just saying I have a T cell, a white blood cell that is activated. We know there's maybe an infection uh, compared to it's activated, and it's activated because of this specific bacteria or virus. So from that standpoint, long before symptoms arrive, you may be able to have indications of a particular infection that could be treated before there's damage, before there's fever, before you've spread the disease.
1: Well, you mentioned cancer, but I'm also thinking things like autoimmune diseases. Yes,
2: we're looking at everything from arthritis. Um, and this actually started out looking at transplant surgery and can we identify early on the uh, rejection of an organ. And we discovered from that that, that we could also look at an activation due to other causes. So that might be an autoimmune disease, an early detection of that before damage is done, uh, allergies, uh, but it also could be uh, a virus or a bacteria or even a fungal type of infection at at the very earliest stage using the body's
1: own mechanism as the the pre-sensor. I visualize the machine, but I'm not clear on, do I stick my finger in it? (laughs) Do you put a drop of blood on it? How does that work?
0: A critical aspect, in our opinion, of making this most useful clinically is that it can be operated in the course of normal clinical workflow by scientifically unsophisticated personnel. This becomes very important in mass screening and triage, for instance, where uh, you need a technology that's not only highly accurate and rugged so that it can be taken out into the field, but it can be operated. By personnel that are not necessarily laboratory scientists, that it doesn't require sophisticated reagents. It is obviously a complicated technology. So that's been a critical focus. And in fact, the way that we've currently evolved the technology, it's as simple as when the nurse takes a sw- swab of your throat, placing that sample in the cuvette, pressing the button, and generating device with a statistical accuracy of 99 percent, that it's the organism that we think it is or that we're trying to identify or exclude. So that, that aspect of simplicity at the point of care is critically important.
1: So how far are you from that? Are you simply waiting for FDA approval at this point? Are you Still fine-tuning? Well,
2: right now we have a pathway to go through FDA approval, so we'll be doing a lot of uh, specimens, different specimens with confounding background. In other words, all the the other things that might come along with the the sample that you have, Uh, mucus, other bacteria that is less dominant or normal flora, uh, those types of things, to make sure that they don't interfere with um, this diagnosis that comes up. So from that standpoint, we have that pathway, uh, which is a very large number. The other uh, thing is we we're making a library uh, of pathogens that are um, ever-increasing. So we could start with, with Strep A, uh, Staph, both antibiotic-resistant, not E. coli, uh, C. diff, a number of ones that are you know, particularly uh, dominant in infections right
1: now, and then keep building on those to the more rare uh, types of uh, diseases. It's my understanding that you've been hoping to launch this in the veterinary market because it doesn't require FDA approval. Where are you on that step of the process?
0: Over the course of the last year, we've been focusing on aspects of integration of the software and automation of the software. Um, And we're very close to that. Once that milestone has been achieved, then we would have a device that's ready to begin clinical installation. Um, The FDA does oversee veterinary applications, but veterinary medicine is not as highly regulated as human medicine. So it's still the case that veterinarians, if they believe that a diagnostic technology can add value to their patients and clients, they can use it for the care of patients. Uh, So we anticipate that Late 2017, perhaps 2018, we, we will be at the point where we have a technology that could be used clinically in the veterinary, uh, in the veterinary
1: market. For any invention, it takes capital. Are, have you secured the capital that you need to see this through?
0: We have um, focused very carefully on avoiding hyperbole and spent most of our money on development and validation of the technology. And we've been successful initially self-funded, ultimately angel funding, and we're in the process now of raising what's referred to as the first series of funding or the A round of funding. And if we're successful in doing that, we believe that will provide the capital that we need to take it to the point where we have clinically viable product in the veterinary space.